Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. The, the saying goes that success is a poor teacher. I've definitely learned more from the moments where I haven't quite made the grade than from the times when everything went incredibly smoothly. Luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Just to keep learning, keep an open mind, keep reading, keep finding out things from your peers. It's, you're never going to reach a point where you've mastered absolutely everything in your chosen field. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome my good friend, Lindsay Stewart. Lindsay has over 20 years experience in the finance industry and is currently a senior manager in KPMG's UK investor engagement team, where he shares insights on how corporate reporting, stewardship and audit can can evolve to meet investors' needs. He is also a board member of the KPMG Audit Evolution Board. In addition to his practical experience, Lindsay is a CFA charter holder and a chartered management accountant. I first met Lindsay when I volunteered for the CFA UK Society's Soft Skills Working Group, and we both share a passion for personal and career development. I also recently found out that we're both Chris Rock fans and happened to be at his 2008 show in London on the same night. What a coincidence. It's, it's a pleasure to welcome Lindsay. Hi there, Harsha. It's a pleasure to be here. I remember Chris Rock moaning in 2008 about the US dollar exchange rate when I think it was still $2 to the pound. How times change, right? That is very true. L- Lindsay, um, I, obviously you'll recall we recorded that podcast last summer and you played a huge part in the genesis of this podcast. So thank you so much, Lindsay, for, for doing that. I really do appreciate that. Harsh, you're very welcome. I'm, I'm really, really pleased to see how your, um, how your podcast has started off. You've got some, some great content pulled together. I'm looking forward to hearing more. Thank, thanks very much. But anyway, it's great to ha- get the band back together. Uh, and, the, and, the, <laughs> and, the, and the funny thing is, I initially wanted to co-host the podcast with Lindsay because I was thinking, oh, I probably aren't, aren't that interesting a host. But unfortunately, Lindsay was too busy uh, and he blew me out. So it could have been the start of a beautiful career, but we're still friends, Lindsay, anyway. If I'm honest, I'm still too busy. There's a government consultation about to take over my life. So before we dive in, is there a quote that inspires you or resonates with you? I struggled with this when you asked me to think about it, but I think I'm just going to go back to something I mentioned on a recent article that I wrote for CFA's um, Inclusion and Diversity Committee in the UK. And that is that talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. And I think that's kind of, we're going to touch on those points um, as we go through this this podcast. But I think it's kind of important to emphasize that, yeah, talent can be found everywhere. 
in places that you don't expect to find it and in the places that you um, normally look. I think that that's so true, Lindsay. And yeah, definitely we'll, we'll touch on that. But I think people just need that chance and that opportunity. And sometimes it, it's really sad. They just don't get it. But hopefully some of the things that we're talking about today may help people push themselves forward and, and try and get that opportunity. But to go back to the beginning with you, I believe that you first became interested in accounting and finance through reading your father's copy of the Sunday Times. Yeah, that's right. My, my father, he's no longer with us, but uh, obviously I still have the memories. He worked at uh, the Ford car plant in Dagenham, as was. He always used to read the, the Sunday Times and I used to pull out sections like the business and money section that I was interested in, sometimes the career advice that that was in there. And the one thing that kind of stuck with me, I mean, I was already kind of interested in in finance and accounting and that side of things, but it really stuck with me that those qualifications that you gain really do serve as a solid foundation for one's career, irrespective of what background that you're from. And I do remember reading an account from, I think it was a guy from a South Asian background who had mentioned the solid foundation that studying I think as it was the uh, ACCA qualification had given him. I ended up studying the SEMA qualification eventually in my career. And uh, it turned out he was right about that. Myself, I'm from an accounting background as well. I'm a chartered accountant, you know, similar to yourself. And I totally agree with you. The whole idea of getting qualifications, it's one of those things which is fairly cut and dried. It's, it's objective. You, you either have them or you don't. But I think if you do have them, it, it also gives you a sense of confidence. But also, I think when you're meeting other people, it gives you some sort of credibility when you're talking to them, which I think does help to distinguish you from, from other people who maybe are good at talking and selling themselves, but they don't have the substance. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true, Harsha. Definitely a very good point. From our conversation, you had pretty good A-level results. So why did you start working after your A-levels rather than going to university? Yes, uh, let's uh, revisit my teenage trauma for a second time. <laughs> Are we harsher? Sorry, Lindsay. <laughs> you say I had pretty good A-level results. I had an A in mathematics and an A in accounting. I ended up with a D in design, which is the third A-level I took. And the reason why was like certain difficulties that I had during that time meant that I couldn't complete coursework for design. And design was a primarily a coursework-based subject. So no coursework, no good grade. Maths and accounting, however, were pretty much entirely based on the exam. So I managed to kind of get myself together for the last few weeks of the term to kind of get myself through those exams with a good grade. So having got a D in design, I, I wasn't somebody who got Ds in school. So to get one for the first time at A-level was, it was pretty devastating for me. I didn't really know what to do with myself. I was kind of consumed with this sense of failure. I didn't really have anyone, any peers that had kind of gone through similar things that coached me through it effectively. Yeah, I decided to start looking for work because I didn't have the grades for the top university that I had applied to. I didn't have the the knowledge or the guidance or even sort of the presence of mind to think, that maybe my second choice would have been good enough to go and do the maths degree that I intended to do. So I kind of put sort of a plan together in my mind to just start working and gain those qualifications that I intended to take while I was working instead of going to university. But just for our listeners, that first choice university was Imperial College, which is not just one of the best universities in the UK, but it's got a worldwide reputation. And your second choice was Queen Mary, which is pretty decent. Um, so in, in a way, I, I totally understand that sense of failure and maybe you just feel down about life. But it's a shame that you didn't go to the, the second choice, which is a pretty decent university. Yeah, um, that's a good point you make there. Um, 
I kind of want to emphasize that I'm not feeling regret over that choice out of any sort of concern for the progress of my career. I think my career has gone reasonably well. It's more the fact that if I had the chance right now to take three years out just to study mathematics, like I would do it. And the opportunity cost of doing that at the stage I am now in life is incredibly high. So past me just wishes that I'd done it back when I was 18, 19 years old got those three years out of the way, come out with my degree. I would have spent that time doing something, just purely studying something theoretical before starting my career. That's an interesting point you make there, Lindsay. I think you you make your choices, whatever they are. And I think there's no point looking back with regret. You have to look forward and try, try and make the be- best of it. Because I think sometimes if you make choices and you, you look back too much, I think that's quite a dangerous um, situation you get into. Um, and I think it's always better if you can to look forward and, and think, okay, uh, this is the, the situation and make the best of it a, a, as you can. Very, very true, Asha. And, and do you feel having gone through that situation, Lindsay, do you feel that you're better able to cope with failure, that you're more resilient having sort of been through that almost trauma of not getting into your top university? I'll, I'll say I am now. It took me a while to get, get past that, just to kind of look at that moment through the lens I look at it now. Without wishing to direct your listeners to someone else's podcast, (laughs) Brene Brown's podcast from a couple of months ago, I think it was with Dr. Sarah Lewis from Harvard. That really, really opened my eyes up about failure because I think what they mentioned was that the word failure was a word that previously only applied to companies, to businesses, and it eventually developed into a word that we use for human activity. And I think it's kind of important to dive into that because if you think about corporate failures, if you think Enron, Polypec, BCCI, you know, those companies are gone forever. They failed. And if you think about human activities, if you try launching a new product and it doesn't quite work, that doesn't mean you lose the right to try again. No, no so, I, I, I totally agree with you, Lindsay. I think that's a great point. And, and we're very happy to share other people's podcasts or resources, because I think the whole point of this podcast and having this conversation is to spread knowledge and hopefully other people will learn stuff that, that we've picked up. And, that, and that's why we get top quality guests like yourself, Lindsay. <laughs> I, I had never come across that point. So thank you very much for that. You're very welcome. Um, yeah, I think perhaps we need to kind of unlearn the the word failure when it comes to somebody who's tried and not quite made the the result that they expected to get or that they intended to get perhaps it's more we need to start seeing what we call failures as learning outcomes the the saying goes that success is a poor teacher i've definitely learned more from the moments where i haven't quite made the grade than from the times when everything went incredibly smoothly And I think that's a really interesting point, this idea of failure, because obviously you're aware of Carol Dweck and her growth mindset. And she talks about not yet. At at some points in time, we're not quite ready. We maybe have not done the work, but you still have to go through the process and see where you are. And maybe at that point, uh, you're not ready. But that doesn't mean that you can't keep trying again and again. And I think sometimes people who give up after one go or two go, goes it's sad because they're probably so close to getting there um and with a bit more effort and a bit more luck they'll they'll get there don't don't you think so absolutely true so Lindsay, um how did you go about finding your first job in finance what was your strategy and process 
And also it would be helpful to give a bit of color as to what you did immediately after your A-level results um, and that time between that and getting that uh, job in finance. Sure, I'm happy to talk about that. So as I say, I had a bit of a difficult time in the late 90s when I was finishing school. I um, worked some of my time while I was doing my A-levels um, due to a pretty difficult financial situation. I was actually working in a McDonald's locally. After my A-levels, I kind of set out with something to prove. So quit the job at McDonald's, went to look for a job in the city or, or in finance, you know, some jobs in the city, some locally. That didn't work out. Ended up back at McDonald's. So, so you actually had what, like a first go and that didn't work out. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Hush. Oh, wow. I, did, I didn't realize that. I thought it was McDonald's becoming a manager and then you got the job. So, and I think that's really interesting because it's that whole idea of, you know, you, you hear these stories about, you know, I graduated from university and then I got my dream job. But I think that that's a really interesting point that the first time you went for it, it didn't work out. And, and actually, that's something that is new to me today. That's really interesting. So, yes, I ended up back at McDonald's, but I decided to kind of make the most of the experience. I, did, I hadn't planned on staying there as a career, but, you know, I was I worked hard. I uh, advocated for myself there. I got put onto the, the manager's course. Uh, which I did very well at, for which um, I received uh, a watch and a, a special badge, which you can see on on my article for for the original pod- podcast that me and Harsha did on that. But after a few months at management, I then I then left and decided to have another tilt at the job in finance. The fact that you went back to McDonald's and not just as a, a crew member, but thought, okay, I want to get managerial experience. Um, that will show up on my CV as somebody who you can give responsibility to. And I suppose maybe for our listeners out there who are struggling to find that job in finance, I think there are always opportunities and things that you can do to enhance your CV, no matter where, where you are. Um, and I, I think that's a really interesting point from your uh, uh, McDonald's story. No, thank you, Asha. And do you think that um, helped you sort of reframe the situation and sort of change your mindset a bit, having you know, uh, had the failure, then gone back to McDonald's, did the managerial course? Do you think that shifted your mindset maybe um, when you were applying to on your second go uh, in, into the city? It definitely did help shift my mindset. By the time I had kind of left school, you know, with this kind of failure hanging over me, you know, went to look for a job, ended up back at McDonald's. You know, I think I was feeling pretty low at that point, but then I kind of built myself up, got onto a management course, scored the best grade out of that cohort, um, got recognized for it. Um, By then, uh, my confidence was high enough for me to tell myself, okay, it's time for another go at the career you actually want. So it definitely did help me reframe and reset. Thanks for the plug for my podcast. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I did not set Lindsay up for that, listener. So oh, we're getting good at this, aren't we? <laughs> Apologies for that. <laughs> so I, no, I think that's fantastic because it, I, I think confidence um, is one of those things, um, and I think we've talked about this before. Where does it come from? Um, I don't think there's any sort of particular formula to create confidence, but I do think if you feel good about yourself and and for yourself, you you're a manager, you did the course, you did well um, in, in the test. I think that gives you a lot of confidence that, uh, that you can succeed. And, and I think it does start shifting things around in your brain um, that uh, you, you are capable of doing some great things. No, thank you, Asha. 
so so once you had done that, Lindsay, I, I love I love the story, and, and you, you'll probably tell it a lot better. But essentially, um, you live uh, sort of in the east of, of of London, or you lived then, and literally you took a tube, um, which is obviously the underground service in 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 London, and then went to a recruitment consulting consultant, literally twenty minutes away in the city. Yes, that's right. So on my uh, on the start of my second attempt at a career in finance, I. I got on the tube, got off at Bank Station, walked up one of the stairs at the many exits in that station, for those who know it. There was a recruitment agency on my left when I exited uh, the station. I walked in there and (laughs) asked the first person I could see to help me find a job, CV in hand, uh, which they did help me with. Fantastic. So I I think some people, when they listen to that story, they think, Wow, Lindsay, you're so lucky. You literally got on the, you know, got up in the morning, took a 20-minute tube ride, um, found this recruitment agency, and they gave you a job. But I think behind that, there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of grind, and that I think helped you land the job. Is that correct? I think what we said the last time we spoke, Harsher, is that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Opportunity. Okay, I grew up in an non-fancy area of town but it was still close to London so that does create opportunity in that I can just get on a tube and end up at a recruitment agency and ask for someone to help me find a job however preparation I did have two decent A-levels in mathematics and accounting I had completed a management course at the job I was working in and there's all the work that goes in and around that just basically getting up every day and putting in the yards to get into those positions You do have to do that to be able to take advantage of your luck. It's like, sometimes I do like to talk about sports. It's like in football, if you say someone scores an easy tap-in and all you see on the highlight reel is that they've tapped the ball into the net, you don't necessarily see the 60-yard sprint they had to do to get into that position. Yeah, and I think especially with sports, you don't realise all the hard work and the grind that goes into that. All you see is that five-second clip, but you don't see everything that happens before and maybe... He's made that run 20 times, but the ball hasn't come to him. It's that whole thing. If you keep buying a lottery ticket or keep having a go, eventually I think things do do pay off. I'm not so sure I feel the same way about lottery tickets, but I do understand okay. the sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're not advocating anybody to buy lottery tickets here. But, but, but I also think the other thing that's really interesting about you is that, and, and I remember you were telling me that, weren't you on a course where somebody said that you had a, a helpful face or a likable face? Is that, is that right? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I have a helpful face. Yes. I'm the person that gets asked directions when I'm obviously lost. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and listeners, if, you're, if, you, if you can't see Lindsay, he does have a very helpful face. <laughs> Thank you, Asha. Continues but, to get me into trouble. <laughs> Not no, so but, much in lockdown, though. <laughs> no, but, but I do think that that's an interesting thing. It's, it's um, how do you, I don't think you can make people like you, but there are ways, I think, of creating bonds. Um, and I think we've talked about this before, where somebody like Robert Cialdini, the author of Influence, he talks about finding commonalities. And I think if you make an effort to talk to people or, or are interested about them in a genuine sort of way, you can find out some quite interesting facts. Um, and, it's, and, and say for us, I had no idea that 
you're a Chris Rock fan. And I also had no idea that you quite like tech. And for me, I find that really fascinating because my tech skills, they're getting better, but they're not great. So I think if you make an effort to talk to people and have a, a nice conversation, uh, then that, that, that makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely true, Hosha. Definitely true. Excellent. So I'm, I'm sure that also would have played into the, you know, maybe the recruitment consultant, you know, just thought, oh, Lindsay, he seems like a good guy. And I think that that is important, finding people who'll take a chance or give you a break. And I, I, I don't, you should never underestimate the, the power of that um, in, in your career or your life. But it, it, in terms of your qualifications, I know we sort of touched on this before that you're a, a chartered accountant, but you do have... Um, an impressive list of professional qualifications. Uh, you're a CFA charter holder and you're also SEMA qualified. How do you think these have helped you in your career? And has it been hard to work and study? Yes, working and studying is a bit of a distant memory for me now, at least of those really intense qualifications like, like SEMA and CFA. However, those have they've definitely helped in my career. I'd say that SEMA really did give me a grounding in not just financial statements, but also in how organizations are managed and how people are motivated. I, I still kind of dig into those topics quite a lot whenever I can, because those, those really do intersect with sort of the stakeholder engagement kind of work that I'm doing now. And also the CFA charter, it's given me the kind of in-depth knowledge of how securities or shares or bonds perform who buys them and why, what their motivations are at a really detailed level so that I can pretty much have a conversation with anybody who's an expert in those areas and translate what their intentions, what their priorities are into actual policies that um, other people can understand and react to. Oh, that, that's interesting. And, and in terms of the, the, the CFA, uh, being a CFA charter holder, for, for those of, the, of our listeners who, who aren't aware, that's a pretty um, intense uh, exam. You sit it over three years, um, or what we used to do that. and um, Three years if you're lucky. If you're lucky, <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and essentially there are three levels um, and you have one level every year. And um, in the old days, they used to be sat just on one day a year. So it's quite an intense sort of pressurized situation. And yeah, I remember myself when I, I used to get up in the morning uh, of the exam, you feel incredibly nervous uh, and you want to get there early because if you're not there half an hour beforehand, they just won't allow you into the exam room. So it's a lot of pressure on that day. I, I do think so. It was a lot of pressure on the day. However, I do have to say that that stress is nothing compared to what I'm hearing from some of the people who have had to go through these qualifications in the middle of a pandemic, oh, wow, um, yeah. not even knowing whether they can take it or how they're going to take it has really taken a toll on some of the people who, who I speak to on, on LinkedIn or in my inbox every now and then. So I really do want to salute the, the resilience and tenacity of those people who are just keeping on going. Oh, totally. And, and, but, but not just people who are taking qualifications. I think everybody just getting up and trying to carry on with your day, that's just not easy. Where do you find the motivation to do that? I mean, if you haven't, you know, if you're looking for work or you're not happy in your job, where do you find the motivation? Where do you find your why? I'm, I totally agree with you, Lindsay. I salute all those people. It is so tough to, to do that and to motivate yourself. Indeed, indeed. And Lindsay, just in terms of your current roles, would you mind just touching a little bit on that? Yeah, yeah. Happy to talk about that for a bit. So I've taken a bit of an unusual um, route through my finance career. So I spent most of my time working in investor relations as a consultant, 
first as kind of the research analyst side back office and then moving through into um, client facing consulting, advising investor relations departments, CFOs on, you know, who their shareholders were, what they thought of a company's performance, its valuation and strategy and management. From there, I moved on to technical accounting, which is a bit of a strange move, mostly technical accounting communications. So there was a major suite of um, IFRS accounting standards that kind of got pushed through in the, the five years up until about 2019 when I left that role. Um, and I helped kind of brought that uh, investor facing knowledge to help explain the changes to a variety of stakeholders. After that, I moved into my current role, which is a senior investor engagement manager at KPMG, but within an audit practice. Most investor relations professionals either work as consultants, as I used to do, or within companies that have share prices and management to, to work with, uh, to really tell the company's story to the market. Me, I don't have that. What I'm doing, I'm essentially going out speaking to investors about what their concerns and priorities and thoughts are on corporate reporting, on auditing and assurance, on um, corporate governance and stewardship, and trying to find ways that an audit practice and the auditor who's you know, reviewing the accounts of a listed company can apply that knowledge and give shareholders in particular the insight that they're looking for, because after all, shareholders is who... Uh, audit reports are addressed to in the first place. Your second question is how I see my career developing is my my career has taken such a, a winding route through so many various aspects of finance that it's actually a difficult question for me to answer. At the moment, I'm in an audit practice and that's a, an area which is about to see a huge amount of change. I think I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that there's a government consultation about to come out uh, as we sit now on a wide range of a wide range of basically the corporate reporting and, and corporate governance and financial landscape as in what are the roles of directors what is the role of auditors what should corporate governance look like uh, in the UK in the 2020s and beyond how my career will develop will reflect how that kind of area also develops there are going to be jobs in that area that maybe don't even exist now Take the job I'm doing at the moment, that didn't exist five years ago. Things are changing very rapidly and I'm kind of trying to find my way within that change. And there's something actually quite exciting about that being sort of at the beginning of something, helping develop new thinking in a very old industry. I, I think that's a really interesting point, Lindsay, you made there about you're not sure um, where these jobs are going to be, because I suppose that's the case for a lot of people going forward. And I suppose it's about trying to develop skills which you think are applicable um, you know, potentially now and also going forward. But also, I think it's more of a mindset um, that you think uh, it is possible to develop new skills. And I think some people, I think the people who are going to win sort of going forward are those ones who are adaptable. They can cope with change. Um, unfortunately, human beings don't like change. But I mean, even from my perspective, I mean, three months ago, um, I had no clue about the technicalities of a podcast. And maybe some people who are listening will probably say he still doesn't have a clue. But I think you're doing okay. But but thank you, Lindsay. The checks in the post. <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't think that's the point. I think the point I, I find doing this podcast is having a, a a nice discussion with somebody I like. Um, uh, Potentially, I will maybe get people in the future who I don't like. <laughs> but <laughs> It's good to have that range of views. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> but I'm trying to limit that. But but it, it's just a nice conversation. It's like two friends having a, a chat um, and th- there's no real pressure. And we can always edit out the bad bits as well. <laughs> yeah. However, Harsh, if I ever see an outtake reel of these podcasts, <laughs> there is going to be a problem. Exactly. You don't want to make Lindsay mad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but but I, I think getting back to a serious point, I think it's that whole idea of having a flexible mindset and just thinking, look, there are things that you can pick up relatively easily. And, and it's amazing, I think, with technology nowadays, there are so many things that you can do and create on your own. Whereas, say, you know, five years ago, um, you know, doing a podcast on your own, editing videos, um, it, it, almost making a very professional podcast. Uh, production was very was difficult but now that's quite possible absolutely it is it is it's it's really marvelous the the things that um basically you can do from a spare bedroom where i am now um just the the amount of technology and equipment that you can just pick up fairly easily and and put together a very professional sounding publication or or podcast yeah And, and also you can put some beats together as well so if the accounting doesn't work out you've got your music gig going on as well Lindsay. I've got a few irons in a few fires. Yes, indeed. But, but, but in a way, I think it's having that diversity is a good thing because I think sometimes when people are so focused on one thing, it, it just creates a lot of pressure because then if that doesn't work out and, and that could be for so many different reasons, which are beyond your control, you do feel devastated. If there are other things, you know, it, whether it's podcasting, video creation, writing a, a blog or just having outside interests, I think it just helps to take your mind off things sometimes. Um, yeah. Do you agree? It's very true. Those, those outside interests are ever so important in, in the life that we're living at the moment. Obviously on a podcast, you can't see, but right behind me is my, my record collection and my turntable. And oh, wow, that's really cool. just helped me kind of balance my, my emotions and my concentration whenever, whenever I need it, just so I can play some of my favorite music. And some of those, those records, even just the physical artifact just means a lot to me because I know the story behind it so yeah it's just just really really valuable to have those those outside interests I I I love the point you make about music it does bring those moments in your life they you reminisce and you think wow those were sort of good days or maybe bad days but it's that it, it evokes these very powerful emotions indeed indeed Excellent. You know, you, you've acquired a lot of technical finance skills, but what I think is really also important in your career is to have these non-technical skills. And what do you think, or which ones do you think have helped you the most in your career, Lindsay? Um, so you mentioned at the top of the podcast that we are both members of CFA's soft skills group. So soft skills is obviously very important to both of us. They're definitely important to me, even if I don't necessarily agree that they are soft they're definitely coming to the fore now. I think things like intelligent leadership, emotionally intelligent leadership, how to be mindful, how to communicate in writing, how to speak to a camera, those kinds of skills that don't necessarily require deep technical knowledge, but they do require application and practice. Example, right now, I know of several businesses who are actually, you know, are suffering a bit financially for the simple reason that to sell in the current environment in which we live requires people to be very comfortable talking to a small green dot at the top of their laptop screen instead of to a person who is in a room with. And it requires a very different set of skills to how you would normally sell. Uh, what if you could roll that skill out across your workforce? How powerful would that be in that, this environment? 
they call those soft skills, but actually they're, they're hugely important to business. So I think that's just an example of why I feel that's so important. A lot of those things, they can be learned. You're not sort of born. Some people can pick these things up, but I think a lot of times, the more you do it, the better you become. I mean, say with um, you know, creating a video, maybe at the beginning, you're a bit wooden and you feel stiff. But I think the more you do it, um, the better you become. Same with sort of public speaking or, or doing a podcast. I think you just get that level of uh, comfort and familiarity, which um, you know, if you just repeat it again and again, you, you get better. Yeah, absolutely true, Harsha. It's important to, to remember that what people call soft skills are still skills. They are things that can be taught and practiced and mastered. Oh, to- totally. And, and you touched about um, the importance of emotional intelligence. Um, and obviously, there's that great book by Daniel Goleman on em- emotional intelligence. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on, on that in, in terms of you know, leadership or the way you deal with your colleagues? Um, emotional in- intelligence is important in all facets of life, and particularly if you're going to be a, a leader of people, and especially now when everybody is under so much pressure. It's important to remember that people do have a choice about who they show loyalty to, who they are prepared to put in discretionary effort for. And so the way that you treat people, if you recognize the motivations and the external uh, effects on people when you're trying to kind of coach them to the result that they want to get rather than the old school directive hierarchical uh, method that many people are used to, all of that is so important right now. No, that that's really interesting because I think if you if you feel uh, almost like a personal loyalty to somebody, I mean that shouldn't be the case. But you do make more of an effort if you think that that guy or or, or lady has got your back and they're willing to fight for you. You, it, it's a human instinct. You you naturally work a bit harder for those people you you get on with. And I think a leader who can create that situation where everybody is motivated and and especially nowadays when there are job cuts, maybe pay cuts. But I think if everybody feels they're in it together and the leader is also showing um, the w- ability to maybe take a pay cut himself, then I think that, that creates a lot of goodwill in the organization. All very true. You de- definitely everybody's actions uh, at a very sensitive time will, will have an impact that is, that is much longer lasting than you might Im- initially think. And we've also touched on this before. I think um, you know, being sort of nice and pleasant and authentic I think that gets you a long way, not just in the work, work world of work, but also in life. I mean, what, what do you think about that, Lindsay? I think, yeah, um, trying to treat people fairly is um, a key focus of mine. And, and being authentic is a key focus of mine. Being nice is also a key focus. But I would, I would also note that there are times when it's, it's time to kind of turn off the nice switch and be direct with people as well. Yeah, no, no totally. Which, is, which kind of ties into the point of being authentic. It's like um, you you don't necessarily expect someone to be happy and smiley with you all the time. Mm. It's good when you can be, but yeah. being authentic and being honest and candid with people, that, that will get you a long way. Oh, no, totally. I, I suppose what I meant about being nice was that, say, mm. uh, say you're in the, you know, back in the day when we were in offices, if you're dealing with people, just take a, a moment to ask them you know, how they're doing, how their weekend was. And I especially found with people 
maybe a junior to yourself or even the support staff. Yeah, they're not, sometimes they're not very well paid and they have pretty hard jobs. But if you can make their life a bit more pleasant, then they will make a, a huge effort to, to help you. And I think it's that whole idea of being non-transactional. Sure, you're being nice to hopefully that th- they'll work harder. But I think if you're just being nice to get something out of people, that doesn't work because people are pretty clever no matter who you are. I think it's that instinct for self-survival. They quickly figure out, is this person genuine or not? And and also, I suppose, with the uh, support staff and the secretary, say if you're trying to get a meeting with your boss, knowing that the secretary or or his PA and being on good terms with them, that certainly does help. Yeah, Harsha, completely agree. That aspect, that aspect of kind of being nice and showing personal concern for people costs nothing and means everything. I think I'm actually quite lucky to work for a firm in which I've frequently heard the complaint that certain people have too many thank you emails in their inbox and they keep having to delete them. And while I appreciate the point that there is far too much email flying around these days, that's actually a quite a nice problem to have, having to go through and delete all the thank yous in your inbox. I think that's something that, that I would quite like to keep throughout the rest of my career. I, I totally agree with you, Lindsay. I think in a way that's probably symptomatic of the, the nature of the firm and they're, they're quite pleasant. So yeah, good, good problem to have. If you were in a situation where you were looking for a job or thinking about moving your job, do you have any advice that, have, that has helped you in the past and might be helpful for somebody in the current situation? I'm going to issue a bit of advice that I've kind of picked up from the work I've done working on communications. People respond to narratives and not facts. We've seen how that can go wrong, and I'm not going to get into politics and all of those kinds of things. It's really, really important that you have a level of control and delivery over your own narrative. I would advise people who are kind of unhappy in their roles or looking for a job, or even if they're not, frankly, just it's a good thing to do, is to just keep a record of the things that you do, a record of what you've achieved in your role and the story that you're going to tell about what you've done so that when you're looking for the next role you can just rattle it off just basically say look here's why you need me firstly it'll help you understand how valuable you are and it will help you convey that message to others i think that's a great point and it's almost like creating i think a a three or five minute pitch about yourself and just saying this is my story this is who i am you know these are my qualifications this is what i love doing and I think it just creates that whole you know, idea of a brand. And I think pe- some people don't like that idea of a branding, but I do think it is important, especially nowadays when we're not meeting people. You know, if somebody hears the name Lindsay Stewart, what do they connect with it? What are the three or five things that they think of? And I think that's quite important. And say um, we're looking at the idea of, say, content creation, like you know, writing a blog, creating a video or podcast. I think that that helps quite a lot. What, what, what do you think about that? I think content creation is, is great for people who want to go down that route, especially now at the moment where we're kind of in the middle of, of this oppressive pandemic situation um, and people are looking for opportunities to connect with others that they're very much starved of because they can't just go out and see people or meet new people the way they, they used to. And so you've kind of got to bring yourself to others through content these days. So personally, I'm doing more writing than I've done in my, in my life. I didn't even write this much in school. Um, and I'm, I'm enjoying it really, really massively. And yes, every now and then I'll pop up on a podcast like Harsh's. Um, yeah, really loving that kind of work. 
but I think the good thing about that is that say um, you're at home and you're, you're, you're looking for a job and that that's quite a hard process because you're sending out applications and you may be getting rejections, maybe you're getting an interview, but there's only so much of that you can do in a day. And I think if you can create content, then I think it gives you a, a level of control. You're taking back the control and you're creating this brand about yourself. And, and, and also it's a great way, I think, of getting your ideas into the world. Um, and, and it's a bit of a numbers game because I think if you can produce a a hundred pieces of content and share that on LinkedIn or what Twitter, whatever other social media channels. Eventually, I think if it's good enough, it will get to the right people. But I also think if you're going for a job, most people will now Google you and or look at your LinkedIn. And if they can see that you're interacting in a nice sort of way and you're adding value, then um, that that counts for a lot. Yeah, absolutely true, Hosha. Say in terms of um, networking and sort of building connections, I mean, I personally don't like the term networking. I, I think of it more as trying to find people that you you have empathy with and you, you're on the same page with. But I think that's also so important, and especially now, to think about, you know, think about your network and also how you can build it, how you can um, add value to them, interact with them. Um, I, I agree completely, Harsha. I would get rid of the word networking if I could, because it turns so many people off, right? Most people are attracted to the idea of searching for opportunities. Those opportunities come through the people you know. If you kind of change your mindset, reframe as it were, and think the way that you seek opportunities is by speaking to other people. And though they can be people who are senior to you, who are junior to you, who are your peers, who work in other organizations, who you are just interested in, just reach out and, and speak to them. And the situation we're in at the moment, people are out there producing content. They're appearing on webinars, they're issuing podcasts, they're writing blogs. Unlike presenting to an audience, none of them have any idea how it went. I remember the last webinar I did, it just felt so strange because I delivered my, <laughs> my piece. There's no audience to look at. There's no one out there nodding or shaking their head or screwing up their face or smiling. I just give it, I just put it out there. And for I don't know whether it was great or whether it was terrible. No, of course. Yeah. There's one thing I appreciate more than anything right now is when people write into me and say, I really enjoyed that. I found this valuable. Or even if they reach out and say that was okay, but this didn't really work. That is so valuable to me right now. If you just do that, you will do more networking now than you probably ever have done before. So networking sounds very transactional. Uh, uh, you know, back in the day, you go to a drinks thing, and then essentially you're trying to meet 20 people, get 20 business cards. And that person is always looking for the next bigger fish to, to, to hook onto rather than yourself. And you just yeah. think, oh, that's just a horrible situation to be in. I, I, I always like at events, maybe... If I can meet one person, maybe two, that that that's enough for me. But I think going in with a, I have to meet 20 people and get 20 business cards. I think that's just the wrong mindset. Absolutely the wrong mindset. Like what will getting 20 business cards get you apart from a, a stack of paper? Yeah, totally. Uh, what if you just make one truly valuable connection and the whole evening's worth it? You don't have to feel any pressure to do any more than that. Yeah, no, no. And even with sort of virtual networking events, um, I think you know, if you can get involved in those, those are quite, quite fun. If you can connect with one person in an evening, that, that makes a big difference. Indeed, indeed. Excellent. 
And I think that's a really interesting point you made, Lindsay, about just having um, skills and and uh, talents that other people don't have that that make you unique. And I and especially I think if you're younger, maybe if you have knowledge of technology or other things, or just the way of social media work, that's very powerful. Because from a personal perspective, when I've uh, tried to start my podcast, I um, hired somebody in to, to give me a bit of help because I just wanted somebody who'd been through that process. And they're a lot younger than me, and um, but they have these amazing skills. And and it's a really nice, I, I think, combination. And she always, you know, I, I, I tend to worry a bit too much, but she's quite good at sort of calming me down and saying, look, it's all going to be okay. Um, and and we've, we've formed a really good, I think, friendship uh, going through that process. And I have a lot of admiration and respect for her. And it's really interesting, I suppose, if you went to say Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett and, and you knew something that they didn't know, they would actually, you hope they would listen and take it on board. And I think it's those guys who have self-awareness and are willing to sort of say, yeah, sure, we don't know anything, everything. But if you do know have something unique, then we will engage with you. And I think especially nowadays, if you do have something which is unique, um, even a following which is unique, then that is hugely valuable. Um, and I think it's that whole idea of just looking at the situation in a slightly different way. Um, even if you are 18, 19, 20, you know, you're early on in the career, you have something which your boss just doesn't have. Indeed it is, Harsher. Indeed, indeed it is. There's, um, there's such a, a variety of skills just coming from the different age groups that are in the workplace. Uh, I believe it's been said uh, quite a lot of times that there's never been so many different generations of people in the workplace at the same time. And we should definitely all be learning from each other. So Lindsay, I hear that you were, um, an, uh, you played a lot of American football um, as a wide receiver. Yes, indeed, Harsha, I did. Um, it was about the same time as I went to that Chris Rock concert, actually. So quite a while ago now. Yes, that's right. I was a wide receiver for the Ipswich Cardinals in the UK. And uh, for those who don't know, the Ipswich is out in the east of England. And there are some quite large um, United States Air Force bases in that part of the world. So I had a lot of American teammates who were very good at this sport. Meanwhile, I was not. <laughs> I tried very hard, but I wasn't, I wasn't good at it. However, I did learn a lot just learning the ins and outs of that game to the standard that a player on the field would need to learn. American football has frequently been described as playing chess with human beings. Every role in that sport is highly specialized. There's an offense team, there's a defense team, there is there are special teams when certain plays need to be executed. And every single player on the field has a very tightly defined role. There are parts of the field they're not even allowed to go into, so things like that. Just learning that sort of technical side of things has really actually helped me think about strategy in a completely different way. And I think that's kind of one of the benefits of what sports teaches you is that it, it really does help you look at things from a very different mindset. And in terms of building things like resilience and tenacity, there's, there's probably no better way of doing it. I've played a bit of sport in my life and I think it does, um, it reveals a lot about uh, your teammates and yourself because um, yeah, unlike work generally the people who do well and who put the work in will all, generally always succeed if you have the talent and the the drive where sometimes it's not always that fair in the working environment which I'm sure we've both come across but uh, but I do, I do think there are so many things that you can pick up from sports you know dealing with failure resilience 
and also teamwork. I, I think that's so important as well. Yeah, and, and you can use that in, in a working environment, you know, dealing with your teammates where you have all these diverse people that you're working with. How do you manage to essentially bind these people together and, and be on the same page? Yeah, you're very, very, very true, Harsha. I do kind of want to pick up on one point you said is that I think sports is also a good way of teaching you that even if you do have the talent and the expertise and you put in all of the work, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the result you wanted. Yeah, it is totally. quite possible to put in 100% and still lose. Oh, yeah, w- without a doubt. And but, but, but life is like that. So it teaches you that, you know, Indeed. even if you show up and work hard and do your best, um, there will be failure. But that doesn't mean that you should stop trying to do that. Um, I think it just minimizes the chances of failure, but you can't eliminate it to, to any extent. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 I, and I also think with that whole team environment, uh, if, you can, um, if you're self-aware and emotionally aware, especially as a, a leader, um, hopefully you can figure out uh, what, what, what motivates people, um, whether maybe some people it's very much about achievement or money or status or recognition. I think everybody has different motivations, don't they? So if you can figure out how your team is motivated and then deal with them individually rather than a one-size-fits-all, because I think some companies it's very much about we'll pay them more, get, give them some nice perks, that's enough. But I don't think that um, applies to all people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely right, Harsha. I feel like we could probably talk about this for another hour, even if we probably shouldn't, for the sake of our listeners. But yeah, think about it. The, the way that people are motivated. Tom, going back to American football, Tom Brady is in another Super Bowl. Like, do you think he's still doing it for the money? And and Lindsay, one one final thing. Um, if there are a few tips, you know, just um, which which you could give our listeners about, you know career development or finding a job or just anything which you think might help them. Yeah, at these moments, I find I'm always saying the same thing. So I'm going to bore everyone and say that just to keep learning, keep an open mind, keep reading, keep finding out things from your peers. You're never going to reach a point where you've mastered absolutely everything in your chosen field. And even if you feel like you have, it's time for a new field. Go do something else that, that, that will kind of light up your mind and inspire you. I think that that's great advice. And I, and I, I think actually... A lot, of the, a lot of personal development is not high tech, but I think it's just executing it. And I think that's where people think, um, you know, I'm going to the next personal development course and keep going, keep going. And you're, you're almost looking for this silver bullet or this elixir, which is going to take you to this ne- next place. But I think if you can bring it back to yourself, focus on yourself and think, okay, there are so many things which are within my control. I can change my mindset. I can change my attitude. I can show up, I can put the grind in. And I think uh, I'm a big believer in just doing the hard work, putting the grind in. Because actually, I think sometimes really amazing creativity comes out of doing the hard work. So I think, yeah, those are great pieces of advice, Lindsay. So thank you so much for that. And also thank you um, so much for um, agreeing to get the band back together. (laughs) (laughs) Absolute pleasure, Harsha. Um, yeah, it's been so, so much fun. And hopefully we might have, and like, like the Rolling Stones, maybe have another, <laughs> another tour. <laughs> Hang on, I'm not that old yet. <laughs> no, no, I never meant like that. But, you know, uh, yeah, depending on the feedback from our listeners. <laughs> but then, no, thank you so much, Lindsay. And, and also, 
giving me that opportunity to interview you back last summer because that was definitely the catalyst for putting this podcast together so you you almost um yeah making me realize that i i could do this so yeah definitely appreciate all your help and appreciate very it. very welcome harsha thanks Lindsay. all right thanks take care, take care. bye thank you so much for listening and staying to the end that was such an enjoyable interview if you would like to listen to more episodes then please consider subscribing to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.